0: Welcome to the Created to Flourish podcast, where we'll explore the believer's call to respond to great global need. In each episode, we'll be reading a chapter from a book called Created to Flourish, co-authored by Peter Greer and Phil Smith, and we'll examine how employment-based solutions empower families to use their God-given abilities to serve their communities. I'm your host, Hannah Ruth, Hope International's Regional Representative in Minnesota. In this episode, we'll delve more deeply into savings groups, what they are, how they work, and why they matter. If you're just joining the podcast, we'd recommend going back and starting from episode one and listening to the episodes in order. Let's dive in.
1: Chapter 6, A Brass Ring, written by Phil Smith. I treasure a photograph of my daughter on an antique carousel near the River Seine in Paris. In the background, the Eiffel Tower is an iron miracle looming in a peacock blue sky. Laura is 12, still young enough to delight unselfconsciously in the lively music and bright colors. She is laughing as she talks my recently retired father into joining her on one of the bright red horses. A century ago, the operators of these rotating machines would place a brass ring on an iron arm and swing it just out of reach of the outside row of children. If a child could somehow grasp the ring as they went by, they would get a prize. From that practice, we get the phrase, grabbing the brass ring. Millions of people in poverty have grabbed their brass rings from a very different type of merry-go-round. Families living in the developing world desperately need both secure ways to save money and access to affordable credit. These are essential needs, and people have long found innovative ways to save and borrow lump sums of cash, including the method discussed below. Don't be fooled, as I once was, by the simplicity of the method. For two years, I dismissed it as unimportant, but I've come to believe it is one of the most powerful ways to help many people in poverty, especially if churches are involved. I've learned that great power is found in simplicity, the simplicity of a merry-go-round, To illustrate this, consider the following fictional example of how friends and relatives join together to empower one another. Anna and Bonita invite their best friends, Clara and Dolores, to join them in forming a savings group. They agree to meet at Anna's house for the next four Saturday nights, and each will bring one dollar. Each week they will put a total of four dollars in a separate jar, and at the end of four weeks they will each take home a jar with four dollars in it. The plan works well. At the end of four weeks, each one has saved $4 from their income. It doesn't take too long for the women to see that it is both insecure and wasteful to keep money hidden in jars, so they agree to rotate who takes the jars home each week. After a drawing to determine turns, Anna takes home the first jar filled, Bonita the second, Clara the third, and Dolores the fourth. Again, at the end of four weeks, each one has a jar with $4 in it. The same ending, but something was dramatically different in the two cases because of when they received their jars. In the second case, Anna's jar essentially contained a dollar saved from her income plus three dollars of loans from the others. The three dollars of loans was repaid over the next three weeks out of her income. Bonita's jar, week two, essentially contained one dollar saved from her income, one dollar of repayment from Anna, and $2 of loans from Clara and Dolores. Clara's jar week three contained $1 saved from her income, $2 of repayments from Anna and Bonita, and a $1 loan from Dolores. Since Dolores was last, her jar contained $3 of repayments from the others plus $1 saved from her income. By working together and trusting each other, the women found a way to provide themselves loans and a way to save. In reality, Those winning early places in the draw receive special benefits of loans. The ones late in the draw have to take additional risk. Only commitment and social pressure cause the early recipients of the jars to continue putting in their $1 every week. In a later example, I will show you how people have found a way to reduce this risk. When each woman receives her jar, she then has several options. She can continue to save the money by keeping it in the jar, she can invest the money in her business, or she can choose to spend the money on household needs. She will make those choices depending on her needs and opportunities. One thing she must do, however, is to make sure she can finish making the remainder of her $1 payments. The risks of the four women were limited since the obligation lasted for only four weeks. The most risk any of them took was the $3 Dolores loaned to the others in the first three weeks. This type of club has another important benefit hidden from most independently-minded Americans. In a typical developing country, each person has a clear responsibility to care for family members, friends, and neighbors. If a person is able to accumulate any money, that person has a corresponding obligation to give or loan that money to someone else in need. This makes it nearly impossible for them to acquire any savings. However, if someone is committed to give money to a group, they have a higher social responsibility to fulfill that commitment, which outweighs all but true emergencies. These types of groups are most commonly known as ROSCAs, Rotating Savings and Credit Associations. Other names include community-managed loan funds, community-managed microfinance, and village savings and loan associations. Locally, they may have other names, such as tontas in Latin America, merry-go-rounds in Africa, having local names like tontines or nyandis, and self-help groups in many parts of India. For the purposes of this book, we will use the term Savings and Credit Association, SCA, to refer to any type of community group in which members save and lend their own money together. You can already see some advantages of SCAs over other lending and savings methods typically available to people in poverty. Although it may choose to do so, an SCA does not have to charge a fee to save like a savings collector does, nor does it have to charge any interest or fees like money lenders or banks do and any interest or fees the group chooses to collect will remain within the group rather than going to an outside institution. Variations on SCAs have been around for hundreds of years, sometimes even in mission work. William Carey, the cobbler missionary to India who is recognized as the father of modern missions, used SCAs in the late 1700s in India to empower women. Carey agreed with Solomon that unless individuals have the power to save, they risk forever being slaves to lenders. Proverbs 22.7 Yet as useful as these small groups are, their power expands exponentially as more members are added and other tweaks are made, as we'll discuss in the following section. Expanding the Model Let's continue learning from Anna and her friends. Finding their savings group to be helpful, the four women invite 48 neighbors to join them again they agree to draw numbers and again the draw amazingly comes out in alphabetical order anna draws number one bonita draws number two and the others draw until zoka draws number 52. at the end of one year all of them have saved 52 dollars since they all made 52 one dollar payments out of their incomes however anna received the equivalent of a 51 dollars loan and all the others except Zoka got loans of decreasing amounts. As they received their payments, the members could invest in their businesses, save, or meet personal needs. By trusting each other and meeting their obligations, the members created and shared immense value. More variations on a theme. A casual glance at Anna's second, larger SEA shows the members are in very unequal positions due to the luck of the draw. Anna got her funds first, so she received a large loan. Zoka received her funds last, so she didn't get any loan. In addition, Zoka took the greatest risk that all members might not pay throughout the cycle and suffered the most from inflation. Fortunately, these inequities can be equalized or turned into extra value for the members to share. One of the inequities is that participants receive different loan amounts because of their position in the draw. Some SCAs solve this dilemma by bidding out the right to receive the next payment to the members who have not yet received their payments. The money received in the auctions is often shared equally by either all of the members or just the members who have not yet received their payments. This allows the people who need a loan the most at any given time to receive it, while those who need one the least can wait and not pay extra to get a loan until it is their turn. It is not uncommon for the offer for the first payment in a large SEA to be as much as 20 to 50% of the amount of the first payment. The auction process not only eliminates the unequal benefit of receiving loans early, but it more fairly shares the risk of repayment and the effects of inflation. Clearly, those who receive the payments early in the cycle are the most likely to quit making their payments. The two primary safeguards against this are loss of social standing and acquiring a bad reputation so they cannot join future SCAs in the community. Although these are strong incentives to continue making weekly payments, they are not fail-safe. So innovative SCA members have found a way to mitigate the risk. They've also found a solution to the perplexing problem of recruiting trustworthy members. Finding reliable members and ensuring that everyone makes timely payments is quite a task. Having the time and contacts to find enough reliable members for large SEAs is difficult for those who are also working long hours to make a living. Founders In very large SEAs, both repayment and organizational issues can be solved by having a founding member who is responsible for organizing the group, collecting payments, and guaranteeing timely payments. Additionally, a founding member makes it possible for the members to be strangers who don't necessarily live or work in the same location. Equally important, the founder can serve as a community liaison who educates people about the benefits of joining an SCA. Founders obviously have costs involved with forming and running SCAs, so they may charge fees for their service, which vary in amount according to the time and risk involved. A typical founder fee might be to receive the first payment while not putting in any weekly payments. Under this type of fee structure, the cost of a founder is not justified until the SCA is fairly large. For instance, if the SCA only had four other members, the cost of the founder's fee is about 20%, while with 50 other members, it is less than 2%. Some types of founders might be able to form groups for small fees. For example, assume a local grocer is the founding member of a small SCA. Her collecting costs, in terms of time and energy, would be minimal because members come to her store regularly anyway. She knows the creditworthiness of her neighbors and customers, and she has the power to withhold groceries until all payments are made. Since an SCA is a benefit to her community, and consequently to her, the grocer might be willing to form the SCA for a small cash fee. As we will discuss later, missionaries, churches, and charities might similarly choose to be founders for reasons other than financial. In contrast, assume the founding member is a professional organizer who puts together large SCAs made up of people living in many locations. This is the business of professional organizers who have high costs and risks, as they no longer personally know members of the group. A professional organizer might charge a high fee, but if it is spread out over many members, the percentage cost could be acceptable. The profit potential for organizing large SEAs is substantial. A few years ago, I was approached to join a group of investors wanting to raise millions of dollars to form a large business that would act as a founding member for thousands of SEAs. Founders and members must tailor the fee structure to fit each situation. Members of an SEA are typically willing to pay reasonable fees for the valuable services they receive. Rickshaw Roskas Perhaps the best book written on SEAs is The Poor and Their Money by Stuart Rutherford. Rutherford tells the story of one of his favorite variations on SEAs. Poor men driven from villages by poverty come to Dhaka, where the only work they can get is to hire a rickshaw for, say, 25 taka a day, about 63 cents, and hope to earn a daily profit of, say, 80 taka, about $2. In the 1980s, such men, illiterate and new to the city and without any help from NGOs or other sources, devised a standard Rosca system which has worked to the advantage of many thousands of them. Groups of them get together and agree to contribute 25 taka a day to a kitty which is held, for the time being, by a trusted outsider, often the keeper of the stall where they take their tea at the day's end. Every 10 days or so, there is enough in the kitty to buy one new rickshaw, and that rickshaw is distributed by lottery to one of the members. The process continues until everyone has his own rickshaw. They have learned how to adjust the number of the members the daily contribution and the interval between the rounds to best suit their cash flow and the price of a rickshaw but one of the finest innovations is the rule that once a member has won his rickshaw in a draw he must from then on contribute double each day over time and in other countries the amounts of money change and variations on the sca abound however in all cases SCAs offer men and women in poverty a method to use their money to generate new opportunities to earn and save. The sky is the limit. The basic operations of SCAs are fairly simple, and they have multiple advantages and few disadvantages. As we have seen, with their immense creativity, those living in poverty have found ways to mitigate most of the disadvantages. One disadvantage is the inflexibility that each SCA member has to make the same payment every week for the same number of weeks, even though individual opportunities and needs may vary greatly. There are two well-known solutions to this dilemma. One simple way around this is for people to join more than one SCA, For instance, a woman might join one SCA that ends at the time school fees are due, another ending near the time when she needs to buy seed for planting, and a third providing her with $10 at the end of every month. One of my acquaintances told me that his mother lives in Belize and is continually a member of at least five SCAs. Another solution is to modify the SCA so it works more like the credit union so popular in the United States. Introducing the concept of record-keeping allows members to pool their savings and make loans to themselves in variable amounts. Since there are few overhead costs, the pool of savings grows quickly as the borrowers pay fees and interest. Because funds accumulate over time, rather than rotating to a different member each meeting, these groups are known as Accumulating Savings and Credit Associations, or ASCAs. Limits on the size of the loans, Terms of repayment and amounts of interest and fees are set by the members or their elected leaders. It is in everybody's self-interest to make the term such that there is a balance between the loans desired and the savings available. If the agreement is for the group to exist for a long time, the members might regularly distribute the interest payments to themselves as dividends. If the agreement is for the group to exist for a short time, the members might split the total pool equally among themselves on the last day. In either case, this arrangement is more able to meet the variable needs of both savers and borrowers than a simple SCA, but it is more complicated to run. I once met with the representatives of a Russian cooperative who ran an organization like this they paid their members a 25% annual interest rate on savings but charged their members 40% for loans. At those two rates, they were able to entice members to save but were still able to loan out all the money they wanted. Finally, a solution for rural areas. Although SEAs work well in urban areas, a special advantage of SEAs is their ability to aid those in areas of low population density. People living in poverty in rural areas are almost completely without access to formal financial services because it is often cost-prohibitive for banks and large organizations to reach so far outside high-density urban and suburban centers. Since there is little room in rural SEAs for businesses to make big profits, it is up to government organizations and nonprofit organizations to find a way to share the idea if it is to have a major impact on the world. One major advocate of church-based SCAs is the Chalmers Center, which originally grew out of Covenant College in Georgia. Chalmers has trained churches and ministries in over a hundred countries around the world to use SCAs as part of a holistic ministry to those in poverty. As a result of an early Chalmers training held between 2005 and 2007 in East Africa, the Anglican Church in Rwanda invited Hope International To begin forming SCAs among its members, which we'll discuss more in Chapter 11. An estimated 9 million people are members of SCAs worldwide. Their popularity has grown in recent years, with the number of members exploding from 1.5 to 7 million between 2009 and 2013. Among U.S.-based institutions, CARE, Catholic Relief Services, Plan International, World Vision, World Relief, and Saving for Change, a collaboration between Oxfam America and Freedom from Hunger, have embraced this approach and have launched locally adapted versions of the model in many countries. Some SCAs in Latin America have grown so large that they can lend people money to buy cars and houses. In a taxi cab in New York City, I learned that SCAs are active in the United States. My driver said he thought at least half of all cab drivers participate in a similar model. SEAs are an effective way for people in poverty to grab brass rings by empowering themselves to save money and obtain loans. While SEAs are simple to administer and allow groups to set their own fees, they do lack the flexibility to meet certain needs as loans are limited by the amount of money groups have saved, as well as the higher interest rates and short repayment periods the groups often set for themselves. To address these problems, and to bring even more essential financial services to those who need them, a Bangladeshi economics professor pioneered a different type of microenterprise development.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Created to Flourish podcast. This podcast is a production of Hope International, a global nonprofit that responds to the call to serve those living in poverty by providing discipleship, biblically-based training, a safe place to save, and small business loans. If you're interested in learning more about Hope International, we invite you to check out Hope's website www.hopeinternational.org slash flourish